I'm excited to jump into the scriptures this morning. We're going to take a little break from Thessalonians. We've taken a break during the whole Christmas season, but we're not going to jump right back in yet because it's the first Sunday of the new year. So I want us to look at a passage that really talks about growing up, growing up, spiritually growing up. And I think and hope that that's what really 2021 will be about for so many of us. It's Ephesians 4. I've probably preached on Ephesians 4 three or four times in the past. I'm returning to it today. I'll probably return to it multiple times throughout my whole ministry. It's one of those sections of the scripture that I think it's wise to come back to often because it's so determinative of how we go about the Christian life. And I really think it applies to 2021. Uh, 2020 was a trial. I think we could pretty much all agree that that was the case. So what happens next? Hopefully, some spiritual depth and maturity and growth. That we grow up. Now, to say to someone, grow up, can be an insult, right? If they're acting immature. But it doesn't necessarily have to have an insult to it. It could just be a reality. You can say to a kid, a kid needs to grow up. That's what kids do. And I think for our church, you might say, well, Pastor Rick, we're 256 years old. I mean, how much growing up do we need to do, right? But every generation, every group of Christians needs to continue to spiritually mature. And God calls us to grow, oftentimes through hard times. Just as an illustration of this, one of my favorite movies is the movie Glory. Who's seen the movie Glory? Most people, I would think, a lot of people would have seen it. It's about the Civil War. Um, there's this one part where the colonel has a friend who has joined the military, and he's not a good soldier. And the drill sergeant is just sort of hammering down on him hard. So finally, the colonel takes the drill sergeant aside and says, uh, aren't you being a little hard on these men? And the drill sergeant says, the boy is your friend, isn't he not? And he said, yes, we grew up together. And the drill sergeant says, let him grow up some more. And I think that's right there what I would say to the church. Uh, and I think what God's word is telling us there. We have some growing up to do um, here, especially particularly in the church in America, uh, as we deal with some of the hard times that we've been facing. What does that mean, though, to grow up spiritually? Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, as we look at how the church must grow up in 2021. We read this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, 
the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. You may notice that repeated phrase, growing up, that the church here, Christians are called to grow up. And what does that mean first? In verses 1 through 7 is that we grow in unity. We grow in unity. I'm going to take one extra verse that I put up on the screen there. We grow in unity. What does he say? First of all, he says that uh, he's a prisoner for the Lord, and he means that literally. Uh, Paul wrote a number of his letters, Paul the Apostle, from prison, and this one is one of the many that he wrote uh, from prison, and he's in prison for preaching the gospel. So he is literally a prisoner for the Lord, and his command is to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That term walking is so commonly used as a synonym for the Christian life. We're on a journey, heading in a certain direction where we can get off path and we got to get back on path and we're movement, there's movement, there's growth, there's change. And he says your walk should be worthy of the call that you've received, worthy of the gospel that has saved you. And how do you do that? He tells us, actually he lists out a number of virtues. Virtues, right? Things that should characterize Christians. Um, he mentions humility, gentleness, patience, in love, and particularly in the context of love, dealing with bearing with one another, learning to be forgiving, learning to be gracious towards one another. Um, obviously, those are all good things. They're virtues, not vices. But they're all relational. I mean, you're humble towards God, yeah, but also towards other people. You're gentle with each other. You're patient with one another. You're loving one another by bearing with each other. And the idea he's getting at here is part of growing up is unity. It's, it's living out of the unity that God has given us, which is what he says next. Verse 3, eager then to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A church that has those virtues that I just mentioned, patience and love and gentleness and so forth, will be a church that maintains the unity in the, of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that acts out in unity. He continues that talking about unity by using all these ones. There's seven. Uh, he used that term one, 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 one over and over. And actually, you may have missed this, but actually this is a, a little bit of a picture of the Trinity. Um, the word Trinity is never in the Bible, but the concept of the Trinity is everywhere. First is the Spirit. Uh, he says specifically there's one body, what unites the body of Christ, the Spirit. One Spirit. And just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. All those probably are in relation to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who fills us with hope of eternal life. And then Jesus, he says, one Lord. Usually the term Lord refers to Christ. One Lord, one faith. We share together the same faith in Christ, our Lord. One baptism. Now, 
You might say, well, aren't there a lot of differences, Pastor Rick, when it comes to baptism? Some sprinkle, some dunk like we do, some baptize infants, some only baptize believing uh, adults or teenagers or those who come to a, a certain level of faith. Yes, there are differences. Yes, someone is right and someone is wrong. Obviously, we believe we're right on this. But nevertheless, I think we can agree that baptism is a symbol that God gives to his people, the church, as a sign of the covenant of faith. But on that, we can cross the denominational lines and say, yeah, we're, we're still united together, even if we have some differences in how we view baptism. And then, talking about the Father, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He is omniscient and omnipresent and all-powerful. He is the eternal and infinite God. And we share a belief, a trust in him. See, friends, unity in the church is different than anywhere else. It's different. Uh, See, there's unities, that's a word, unities, I think it is, that we create. I like the patriots. Maybe you like the patriots. Therefore, we have a common bond, right? We like the patriots. Um, I like the patriots enough that um, my son and I went to the coldest home game in the history of Foxborough. Um, And yes, I think we both got sick after that. So that's us trying to survive out there on uh, uh, on the bleachers in the very, very freezing cold. We do this all the time. You're a gamer. She's a gamer. They share that together, and there's a unity that comes about that. Uh, A shared hobby. You work together. You're in the same field. So you together have a certain unity. You volunteer together in some volunteer organization. You're part of a book club, and you really like whatever, whoever. Pick someone. Stephen King, Mary Higgins Clark, or whatever. Uh, Same ages. We do that all the time. People are close to the same age. We share certain things in common. And you say, well, isn't it the same with Christians then? We just, you know, share similar values. No. We're united by something far deeper than that. We're united by the gospel of Christ that has redeemed us and made us one. And it's it's God made. (laughs) It's not our, we didn't create this unity. We live out of it. Big difference. The command here is not create a unity that's not there and make yourselves one. The command here is to maintain the unity that the Spirit of God has given us. He has brought us together as one. Uh, thinking of a parallel of this, imagine you're taking the family on vacation to, I don't know, Disney World, let's say, and uh, the kids are, are constantly bickering and fighting and, you know, not sharing and, you know, insulting one another. And finally, you've had enough, your parents, and, say, and you say, and says, you guys are family. Start acting like it, right? So you're not saying, become family. You guys are already family. Now start acting like it. Treat each other as you are. That's the command here. You are united together as Christians. Now start acting like it. And by the way, we're united, like it or not. So if you think of the Christian brother or sister that you like the least in this world, you will be with him or her for all eternity. So get used to it now because our unity doesn't just count for this life. It counts forever. So begin then to learn to live out of the unity.
we have. That's what it means, partly, to grow up. Uh, we're called to grow up. We're called to grow in unity, and I think certainly here in 2021. That means what? That means practicing the virtues. Are we gentle with each other? These are hard times that we're facing with one another. Are we gentle with each other? Uh, people are frustrated this year. They're a little short. They're, they're mad at the pandemic. They're mad at the government. They're mad at what's happening in the culture. They're mad at what's happening in their job. They're mad at the patriots, right? I'm mad at the patriots, right? Are we gentle with each other? Are we standing together and united? Are we seeking peace? Are we bearing with one another, forgiving? Recognize it. Recognizing this is a frustrating time. Pray for each other. Let's lean on each other in these hard times. Let's pray with one another. And certainly, friends, look beyond First Baptist Church. I think this is also a time where it's clearly... Uh, an opportunity to show unity beyond the walls of a specific local church congregation and show unity with other Christians across denominations and across the world. Definitely an opportunity now to show unity across ethnicity and race. Let's demonstrate, let's live out of the unity that God has given us. That's part of what it means to grow up in 2021. We also grow in ministry. We grow in ministry, verses 8 through 12. Um, so how do we grow in ministry? He gives us a sense of how that happens. First of all, God, Jesus, gives us grace, it says. Now, there is the grace that saves, <laughs> the grace of the gospel. That is completely an act of God's grace. It's just not what he's talking about right here. The grace he's talking about here is that God gives to each a gift, a measure of grace specifically when it comes to a gifting. And we see this in different parts of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and, and Romans um, is it uh, 13, I think, second part of 13, where he talks about spiritual gifting for his people. That's sort of what's going on here. Uh, but he just uses the illustration of a king. This is from Psalm 68. Uh, when a king, particularly the king here, meaning the king of kings, when he comes back in victory from a battle... What does he do? A king typically has a host of his captives that he brings back from the war. That's us, by the way, when in, the, in this picture. And then he takes gifts, and he receives a bunch of gifts. That's what goes on in Psalm 68. But here, he's giving gifts. He's distributing the plunder from the war. And this image is applied to Christ as he has won the victory and the resurrection. And then now, as his people, he gives us gifts. And then he takes a little bit of a a, a, a rabbit trail to talk about who the king is. He's the one who descended and eventually ascended. I will tell you that through the majority of church history, this referred to his descent into hell, or people thought this referred to his descent into hell. I don't think that's the context. I don't think that's what he's getting at here. So if I could disagree with the majority of church history, and in line with a lot of, um, I think, folks who would interpret it today, um, I think he's talking about the incarnation. He descended to the lower regions, the earth. He came to the manger. He came as a human being. He came to the cross of Christ. He died as a criminal. And so what Paul's point is, he's the very one who is eternally in the heavens with the Father. And he comes down lowly to us. And that very same one is now ascended in victory in giving gifts. Now you might say, what are the gifts? What are the gifts? Let's talk about these gifts. 
They are people. <laughs> uh, that, that's what he tells us. The gifts are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Maybe not the gift that you were expecting him to talk about, uh, but those are important gifts for the church because they are the gifts that equip us to do ministry. Uh, the role of spiritual leadership, which is what he's addressing specifically here, is to equip you and me, every one of us, to all of us do ministry, to serve. Uh, first of all, let's just talk for a minute about apostles. Um, who are the apostles? Well, I think you know there's the 12 Take Judas out of the picture, replace him with Matthias, you add Paul. Uh, so you got, those are the, the apostles, right? And who are the apostles today? You take the 12, you take out Judas, you add Matthias, and you add Paul, right? <laughs> those are the apostles today. And we have their word and their authority that we study today. There are no apostles today. But you might say, Pastor Rick, but I met this guy who said he's apostle Mark or whatever, I would say he's probably a good Christian brother, but he's not an apostle. Sorry. Uh, there are no apostles today. However, you might argue that there are certain apostolic um, sort of ministries that oversee a group of churches. No, pro- no problem with that. We might say that Terry Dorsett, who oversees the BCNE here, is a sort of, has a certain apostolic authority, or Mary Miller on the ABC side. Um, prophets, uh, again, you'd have some disagreements. I do think that the prophets here refers to the throughout the Old Testament that God had, had gifted, that we still, again, today study their word. Are there prophets today? Well, we could have a whole lengthy discussion about that, except I would just say this. I hope that preaching and your pastors who preach have a certain prophetic nature to their preaching that they are taking God's word, they're making it alive, and they are applying it to our situation here in life. What about this evangelist category? Uh, I had to really think through this one and wrestle with that. And uh, who is evangelist? I think it certainly refers to folks like Billy Graham, right? Uh, George Whitfield, uh, maybe to apologists out there who defend the faith in the larger scheme. But I think that perhaps what he has in mind here are really missionaries, when you think, we think of evangelists, we think of that modern context of some guy on TV. At that time, the one who brings good news is probably bringing it to a brand new area. In fact, the only other reference to an evangelist, I believe, is to Philip in the book of Acts, and that's exactly what he's doing. He's bringing it to Samaria. These are those who are called not to necessarily oversee a local church, we'll get to that in a second, but those who bring this message to a, this gospel to people who have yet to hear it. We could think of folks like, maybe locally, like Jesus Ruiz. I mentioned we prayed for him earlier, and some others, maybe who are those who are trying to, again, not called to pastor a local church, but are called to share the gospel with a specific group of people. But let's look at pastors and teachers. Notice, first of all, what a pastor is not. <laughs> a pastor is not a super Christian who is your hired gun to do ministry. And I'm not necessarily uh, saying that's how I've been treated here or anything like that, but I do think in churches, oftentimes, that's how it's looked at. Does your church do evangelism? No, we got a guy who does that for us. We pay him, he preaches, and he shares the gospel. (laughs) That's not what a pastor is, very clearly, right? We're all called to do ministry. Nor are we all pastors. 
Sometimes I hear that too, right? Well, we're all pastors. No, read the context. We're not all pastors. We're all called to do ministry, but some are called to do the work of equipping others to do ministry. So what is a pastor? It's one who equips the church to do ministry, including him, including Mike. You know, we're both called to do ministry as well alongside everyone, but the calling then is to see the church do ministry. A pastor who does the majority of the ministry in a local church is a failure. He's not doing the very thing he exists to do as a pastor. So what's the calling to grow up here? Let's do ministry (laughs) together as a church, especially now. First thing to do is get equipped. That's what he says, right? You need to be equipped. Uh, Get equipped. Now more than ever, make sure you're equipped. And friends, at First Baptist, that's one of the things we want to make sure is happening, is that you are getting equipped. That's why we have our daily prayer time. That's why we have these community groups. That's why we're meeting on Sunday, partly, bring worship to God primarily, but part of the way in which we bring worship to God is to equip people and more. But then secondly, do ministry. Get out there and just serve. How do we do that? First and foremost, share the gospel. Again, I think there's more openness now than perhaps we've seen in a long time. Just tell people the good news. But Pastor Rick, they might be a little offended. Pastor Rick, I don't know how to share it. Very smart. What if they ask these tough questions? You're not going to even know until you actually begin to actually share the good news. What is the good news? That God sent a Savior from heaven, Jesus, who dealt with our sin, who paid our penalty, who died in our place and rose in triumph over the grave, and that through repentance and faith in him, there is eternal life. Let's make sure that message is heard. That's the first and foremost ministry of the church. But it goes beyond that. Friends, how do we then be good messengers? And part of being a good messenger is to meet people's needs. It's kind of hard to hear the gospel well when you're hungry. It's hard to hear the message of the love of Christ when you don't have a winter coat and it's 10 degrees, right? So part of what we do is to demonstrate the love of Christ by caring for people, by genuinely and sincerely loving them. Our church has been doing that. Um, Certainly, I just talked to uh, Teddy Hamill. We've given away 60 of our 80 gift bags that include gloves and hats and bathroom supplies and And that's something we're just going to ongoing continue to do. That's through one of the ministries we support, which is Open Hearts Ministry. We continue to meet physical needs. We're tools. We're tools that bring the message. I like what Count Zinzendorf said. He was the head of the Moravians. It is always he. We are nothing but poor tools. How true is that? It's always about him. He's the one who gets all the glory. We're tools. Sometimes pretty poor tools. But God uses us to meet people's needs and to ultimately see them turn in faith to Christ. Friends, let's let's be ministering to one another this year. Get on the phone and make those phone calls to those who haven't been in church and can't come because of the pandemic and especially those who can't even find their way online. Reach out. Let's do ministry to the worldwide church. Let's think of our missionaries. This is not the time to forget about them. Out of sight, out of mind. We got our own problems. 
This is the time to lift them up in prayer, to reach out to them. They're dealing with the pandemic around the world and all the other issues that surround it. This is a time to look to our neighborhood. We call it to love our neighbor, but where do our neighbors live? They live in the neighborhood around us and everywhere. Whoever we come in contact with, it's time to seek to do ministry. Part of growing up is doing ministry. And third, we need to grow in stability. Stability. Verses 13 to 16. And on my Saturday evening Bible study time, we didn't get to verse to uh, uh, section 3 at all. So this is going to be new for everyone, for even those who joined last night. How do we grow in stability? Well, what happens when we're equipped? He tells us, first of all, you begin to attain the unity of the faith. So a church that is united um, with the virtues, a church that is actively doing ministry, begins to actually attain the unity that God has created, to live it out in sincerity. And, though, a uni- uh, also we grow in a knowledge of the Son of God, uh, referring, of course, to Christ, and we mature into manhood. Now, why manhood? We say, what about womanhood? Uh, he's here, as he tells us in the next section, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does it mean to mature? It means to... Begin to look and act and sound a lot more like Jesus. <laughs> That's what we're about. Remember the kids' message from last week. We want to be the travel size package of Jesus, right? We, we want people to see Christ through us. That's what it means to mature in him. He says, so that you would no longer be children. Uh, and what's nothing wrong with children, but children eventually need to grow up. Children who doesn't child grow, something, something's wrong. It's an alarming situation. Uh, what happens to a child, though, they're, they're vulnerable. He says they're, they're tossed around by the waves. Anyone who has young kids, take them to the, take them to the beach. You probably had your kids get in a little too deep, a little too quick with the waves and get blown or you know, pushed around and have to, someone has to run in and pull one of them out of the water. I mean, think about what waves do as they crash and hit and move things around. Well, what's he referring to? Every wind of doctrine. Christians are so sort of flimsy. One wind of doctrine pushes them one way, and then another one comes and pushes them the other way, and one wave hits, and one teaching comes this way and that way, and there's no stability. And as he warns us here, there is cunning, there is craftiness, there are schemes. I wish we could say, none of that exists out there. It's just good, faithful Christian brothers and sisters teaching the truth. That all of the church leaders that he talked about are all good and faithful but that's not the case and so part of the job of being equipped then is to grow into a certain level of maturity in which you can stand by the way if i had to think of false teaching just to name a couple um i think i would have said something different 10 years ago than i would today i would say the two sort of uh, most dangerous ones today are one traditionalism where uh, instead of a living true faith, it's been replaced by a religiosity, go through the motions and do the things that need to be done. And there's a revival in that sort of traditionalism. And the other is prosperity gospel, um, which is this idea that I believe in God because what I get out of him. Uh, if I have enough faith, he will bless my life with money and he'll bless my life with success. And that's what, I'm, that's what my faith is all about. Both of them are just winds and waves blowing Christians around who haven't been equipped. He says, instead, speak the truth in love. I love that. Actually, the word speak isn't in the 
Greek at all. It's just truthing, truthing in love, <laughs> living out the truth, speaking the truth, the whole package, but you do so in love. And I love that balance, right? It's not just truth. Some people say, some people are really good at truth, but they're they kind of a little hurting on the love side, right? They can, they can nail you with the truth, but they, they lack that love. And others on the opposite side, they are really good at love, but man, they got to learn a little bit of boldness of speaking the truth. But as we speak the truth in love to one another, what happens? We grow up into our head, using that body imagery, and the head is Christ, as the body is equipped. Friends, I hope this year is a year that we hold fast and grow into maturity when it comes to sound doctrine. We talked about this last week, but that hopefully you grow in a commitment to read your Bible. Remember, the, the Bible is for Christians. It's not for pastors only. It's for pastors too. It's not for apostles and prophets and evangelists. It's for all of us. It's in your hands. And the truth of the matter is, and I think last year has brought this out, a lot of Christians in the United States, they don't know their Bibles. <laughs> they don't know their Bibles very well at all. Uh, there's a story of a pastor who said, I want to encourage everyone in the congregation to read the book of Hezekiah for next week. And the next week showed up and he said, a show of hands, how many people did their homework and read the book of Hezekiah? And half the congregation's hands went up. And if you don't know, there is no book of Hezekiah. And the pastor said, today we're going to talk about honesty. <laughs> Do we know our Bibles? Also, can we look with a discerning eye? A pastor friend told me, he said, one of the backlashes I see about encouraging people to be online all the time now is there's a lot of junk online. There's a lot of, not just fake news, worse than that, a lot of false teaching online. And encouraging your people to be online is a, is a bittersweet. There's a, there's a negative and there's a positive to it. Look with a discerning eye. Uh, don't be afraid to disagree with me. <laughs> I have no problem with folks who disagree. In fact, we had a, a, a semi-controversial discussion last night on our Bible study, which was good. And feel free to disagree as long as you're seeking it in the scriptures and trying to find the truth. And I know that Pastor Mike and I both would say, we could die tomorrow. The last thing we want is for, you, for a church to say, oh no, our pastors are gone. What will we do now? That's, that's not what a pastor wants. A pastor wants to say, all right, we know the word. Let's seek, find another pastor for one, but let's continue to do ministry. Uh, I'd encourage you to, to read good books. I like the dead um, because they finish the race. There's no chance for them to fall away at the end, right? Uh, my wife tells me, she says, Rick, you, you quote the dead people too much. You, you got to quote some like people from, that are still alive today, you know? So I, I think I quoted Johnny Erickson, Erickson Tata last week, and I'm trying to, trying to quote some people who are still alive, but, you know, the Count de Zinzendorf and stuff, those are the guys I like to turn to more often. But read good books. Maybe this is the year you go deeper. Maybe this is the year you learn some church history. I have a this guy in the church, he's here with me, who started diving into church history. He says, he's just loving it. There's so much there. Maybe this is the, the year you read a systematic theology, and I could recommend two, three of them right off the bat. Maybe this is the year you read some Puritans. Go a little deeper. Grow some deeper roots. Why? So that we might grow in stability. Last year shook the foundation of our culture. 
It's still shook right now. It hasn't gone, obviously. And a lot of lives were shaken up. And it's caused a lot of us, a lot of people, to re-examine what matters. Here's what I hope was not shaken. Your faith in Jesus Christ, which should absolutely be solid rock, a firm foundation. The church's mission has not wavered. I would hope your witness for Christ has not been destabilized. God may be shaking up the world, and I think he is, and he's shaking up the Christian church, but why? Maybe it's a calling to grow up. I hope and I pray that First Baptist will be among those who grow in stability so that when the waves crash, and they will continue to crash, we'll stand firm in mature manhood. The church, and I mean that broader, capital C, needs to grow up in 2021. I wonder, and this is just my attempt at a prophetic word, could be wrong, I wonder if the age of the megachurch is over. The churches of 10,000, 50,000, some of them I think are, right? Membership-wise, even 2,000. I wonder, and those aren't bad. I'm not necessarily saying they're bad, but I wonder if their time has passed. I wonder if the overemphasis in church services on entertainment... A, a big concert. Make it as fun as possible. I wonder if those days are changing. And I wonder if 2021 might breed a mature church with wiser Christians and a deeper faith. One that has grown in unity, in ministry, and in stability. Pray with me. Gracious Father, thank you so much that we can turn to a sovereign God who is truly in control and yet a God of love who actually cares about us and loves us. One without the other would be devastating for us. But the truth is we have a God who is all-powerful and a God who really genuinely cares about the least of these, every single one of us. So help us, Father, then. Help us to listen. Help us to hear from you. Help us to meditate on your word day and night. Help us to be in prayer. Help us to mature in faith. Help us to be active in ministry. Help us to be stable, Lord, that when the winds and the waves come, whether that's false teaching or trials or whatever it may be, we stand firm in the mature manhood of being in the image of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.